It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen got no seats. The ladder from the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in a fire, with the system of the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But it wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're getting it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And bloom. And I mean it. Well, maybe I don't mean it. I don't know. <laughs> hey, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a refuge of rationality in an irrational world. I'm Joel MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 900 posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I you am are. also known as Nurse Amy. And I am an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And the hostess with the mostest, <laughs> absolutely obvious there. Our mission, to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. We are the courageous couple <laughs> of... What? Um, Key Largo. Key Largo, yes. <laughs> we were just in Key Largo, which was very nice. We met some nice folks there, including the Dermers. A shout out to them. Except we couldn't go boating. Except it was too choppy. It was sad. We wanted to go. Yeah, it was windy as heck. There. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Well. We did do some things, though. Well, the fish got a break that time. Uh-huh. But watch out next time. We are coming. Hey. Yes. Friends and neighbors. Have you been injured in an accident with a mischievous muskrat? Well, our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but when the ambulance is heading in the other direction, who are you going to call? <laughs> Ghostbusters? No. No, we should call Survival Medicine Busters. That's right. <laughs> Use some of that common sense the Lord gave you to learn what to do for injuries and illnesses in a disaster. That shows you're smart. That shows that you still got a few pearls in your oyster. <laughs> and smarter still, you know what, would be to get some supplies and an awesome medical kit. And what better place to get it than the awesome Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never duplicated, never equaled. Well, duplicated, never tried to be duplicated, never equaled medical <laughs> kits at store.doomandbloom.net. 
meant to handle issues you'll face if help's not on the way. And unlike other medical kits, they're designed by a real doctor and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. That's right. Find that in another survival kit. Check our stuff out (laughs) at store.doomandbloom.net. I guarantee that you'll be glad you did. I I just want to mention something. Uh Um, I'm actually putting together another store. I know you say another Another store. store. (laughs) Um, Right now, if you go on altonfirstaid.com, it forwards you to store.doomandbloom.net. I am deeply, deeply in marketing research for all kinds of outdoor kits. I am expanding my line beyond medical survival and preparedness. That's all going to be first aid medical kits for hiking, biking, camping, RV, boats, uh, long-term uh, marine trips. I mean, you law, name, enforcement. law enforcement. Um, Schools. I, school. <laughs> well, you're putting words in my mouth. All sorts of <laughs> stuff. I get that. Sorry about that. That's okay. We're, we're like twins. We sort of finish each other's sentences. That's sort so of true at this point. It happens. Folks, a long time. As you, if you've been listening, you <laughs> you hear us finish each other's sentences all the time. So anyway, we always ask people to give us feedback about the shows and topics. If you have feedback about maybe you are a fisherman, maybe you're a hunter, maybe you like to go camping for extended periods of time, and you've kind of learned what it is, the common issues that you come upon during that particular sport or outing event, and you'd like to throw me some marketing research, I would really be thrilled because researching every single one of these, um, I'm, I don't know that I'm sleeping lately <laughs> because I, I'm so obsessed with making the absolute best kit for each one of those that I'm spending hours and hours and hours and hours looking into each and every one of those different sports and finding out what it is people. Well, I uh, can certainly vouch for that. I've, what, I've seen what are all you that research face? you're doing. And the truth is <laughs> and we do. And what do you need? Right. And as we often say, we learn as much from the folks out there as yeah. they do from us. So uh, give us a spin, Flynn. Connect with us. It's easy. And, and I'm going to tell you how. You can please write to me. I'm going to say this a couple times because I'm not sure that you guys understand. Dr. Bones, Dr. Bones, B-O-N-E-S podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T at AOL.com. Please write to us anytime. We would love to hear from you. Again, you outdoor enthusiasts, give us a shout. You can also contact us on Facebook at Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We have a couple of Facebook pages you can like and interact with. Doom and Bloom and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy Show. We have a personal page, Joe Alton, MD. At Prepper Show is our Twitter feed. And, of course, we have YouTube channel at Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. And we have another podcast. Yes, that podcast is called American Survival Radio, a current events podcast, now broadcast from KPJC, Relevant News Talk Radio out of Salem, Oregon, and KRFE, Voice of Lubbock, Texas. And you know what? You'd do us a tremendous favor by following our Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and other social media outlets. We want to be there for you. We don't want you to miss a single 
bit of education that we throw your way. And don't forget to see us when we travel the country spreading the good word of, in this case, medical preparedness. <clears throat> it will be in Germantown, Tennessee, near Memphis, in the last weekend of February. I believe that's like a suburb of Memphis. Yes. In fact, the event location can either use Memphis or Germantown as its town. Oh, okay. Sort of like we can use our town or Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> I got you. Okay. And we're also going to be in Nolens on March 4th to 5th. We'll actually be there for Mardi Gras. Now, how are you exactly supposed to say that? Because I know they have a, a draw. Nolens. 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 Oh, I can't There's got to be a way right. to pronounce My it. My goodness. It's like I always mispronounce Oregon. You know, that would Oregon. be... You know what? I, I don't want to appropriate... Their privilege, or whatever, something, <laughs> whatever microaggression that is. No, no, no. It's trying to um, just say it the way the natives do. You know, people who live in certain areas pronounce their city name in a certain way. And I like Boston. The, when you're yes, in Boston, right. you got to say Boston. And if you're in Oregon, you got to say Oregon, not Oregon. That's true. So you're absolutely right, and uh, we respect that, and we want to say it the way exactly. you guys say it. So what we're going to do, we'll be doing uh, lectures on survival medicine. We'll be doing uh, wound care classes, suturing classes. Uh, we'll have our entire line of medical kits for you to see. Or, most importantly, if you're there in the area, just come by and say hi. That really is what really makes our day. And we're driving. And we're driving. <laughs> this is one heck of a trip. We're going to leave around the 23rd of February. Drive through Atlanta, see my dad. I know you guys have heard me talk about seeing my dad in Atlanta. Uh, I always love doing that. And then we're going to drive up to Memphis the next day and Friday. And then Saturday and Sunday is the show up there, uh, the 27th and 28th. Then we're going to drive all the way down, which is actually kind of a straight shot, mm -hmm. straight down to New Orleans. And we're going to stay in the city because it's Mardi Gras. That's right. Like, we're going to be partying. Never, I know. Yeah, partying. Right. <laughs> as old people can party. Since as you much don't as drink. I don't drink much. And no. I I can't really drink wine anymore. I'm allergic to it. So I don't know how oh, much no. partying we're going to have. We will be watching people party. I like party. margaritas, though. So yeah, margaritas. maybe they'll make a good margarita. So watch us watch other people party. We'll be telling you all about it on that show. And so as long as they're quiet so. by 10 p.m. That's right. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. I think we're going to need um, earplugs. Earplugs, yes. Although we are getting a high floor in a hotel kind of away from the, the from main the, area. From the main area. Yeah. Well, it will be very interesting. New Orleans is a beautiful area. and uh, We haven't been there since before, before Katrina. Katrina. Yes, that's right. It's been a long time for oh us. Oh, my and gosh. So we're, we hope to see a lot of our uh, listeners there. I hope you I hope you come and say Yeah. Out. Now, hey, we've talked about how in a long-term uh, disaster that contaminated water will probably be the cause of otherwise avoidable deaths due to all sorts of bugs that cause diseases like cholera, for example. Now, it's obvious that one of the most important duties of the medically responsible person is assuring the availability of, guess what, fresh, clean drinking water. And without it, you're going to be very hard-pressed to keep your family healthy in times of trouble. Now, we recently had, and I don't know if you know that we do this, but every so often we find an aspiring writer on preparedness and uh, we give them a shot as a, at a guest article on our website and this time we found Jennifer Moran the social media director over at theberkey.com and her passion is uh, 
besides staring at the laptop screen safe for, water. for Berkey, is safe water. Yes. And that is something important. If you have never heard of a Berkey filter, a Berkey filter is, they come in many different sizes. Many of them are stainless steel, and they are the gold standard for Pretty much water fil- most water filters. We we have two, I think, one that we bought no, and I think one we that have three now. Oh my goodness! Because I bought a smaller one also. We had two, the two big ones, two different big ones. Right. We had one that we bought, one that we won thanks to Survival Blogs writing contest years yes. ago for writing my first article, which was the first article by a physician on fish antibiotics for true survival scenarios. That was very so, exciting. So for, To win a prize yes. for the first article that you wrote. Right. And it's that was started, really cool. And so I haven't won no prizes since. <laughs> a thousand something articles true? later. That's true. You're a New York Times best-selling, best-selling author. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, anyhow. I, think that's, I mean, they didn't send you anything. Small consolation. Where's my you, trophy for that? Yeah. Uh, or at least a participation trophy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I will not accept a participation trophy. Okay, good. Well, Jennifer tells us that only 1% of the Earth's water is suitable for drinking. About 97% of it is ocean water, seawater, basically salt. And uh, the other 2% is unusable in one form or another, usually frozen, I guess, is permafrost. Uh, Americans drink more than how, a billion how, glass. How about our poles? Our pole, North Pole and, and South prob- Pole. Possibly that, There's a too. lot of water yeah. there. Well, there's, your, per- there's your permafrost there. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Americans drink more than a billion glasses of water, she says, a day. And so take that worldwide, add washing, other hygiene things, zillions of industrial uses for water. Boy, and you have an incredibly huge demand for this life-saving resource. Now, water that's clear is... Nice, but it's not necessarily safe, and that makes water filters even more important. And infectious microbes like Giardia, they can exist in the clearest mountain stream, can make you plenty sick. So there are things that you need to know to stay safe. Now, one thing that you need to know is that there may be substances in that water that are not so wonderful, could be hazardous to your health, and health, and so it's very important to make sure you know about sterilizing and filtering water. Right, because they're not necessarily germs. Yes. Things that can harm you. Yes, and we're going to talk about some of the things that are not, for the most part, are not germs. Germs that uh, Jennifer talked about in her article. We, we appreciate her contribution. It's a super article. Um, and one uh, number one of the, she made a top ten list, number one is lead. And lead is colorless, it's odorless, it's tasteless. Uh, it leaches from these pipes and plumbing fixtures that we have, and they it goes undetected. You know, something that's and I guess colorless, odorless, and tasteless. Wood. I have to say that is one of the scariest things. I mean, we've had some cities in this country have issues with this, and nobody knew this was happening. Oh yeah, that's I mean, the problem. You just can't look at it and go, "Gee, that water's got a lot of lead." Well, the health risks are pretty formidable. I mean, they increase your risk for cancer, strokes, kidney disease, memory problems, and uh, high blood pressure, according to Jennifer. And children are especially at risk because they have rapidly growing bodies and they absorb metals like lead more quickly. Uh, And the thing is, is that don't think just because you have a home that's relatively new that you can't have uh, lead from corroding pipes, lead pipes, uh, going into your water because obviously your home attaches to more piping and that piping and all that plumbing 
goes out into the city, and I'll bet there's some pretty darn old pipes in that where somewhere along the road because the infrastructure is is probably older than you think in most places. And that's why we need to replace a lot of our infrastructure. And, and right, and exactly right, and that uh, is uh, is a goal of uh, a, a lot. Of our government, that now. is a bipartisan goal. That I will just mention this. Okay, we don't. For talk- those that try to put it on one side or the other, um, this is a this is an American people goal. Goal. Yes. This is we all want this. We have to no fix, matter who yeah. you are or what you believe, we need to fix our roads and our bridges, and we need our water systems. Need to f- fix our water system. Is that right. a lot more? If you don't know about what happened in Flint, Michigan, the city council of Flint, Michigan, decided to switch from city water in Detroit to another alternate source, and sure enough, there was a lot of lead in the water, and it caused a lot of problems with kids. And and this is something that is a big issue. We have to make sure that we ha- keep our children safe, and lead is indeed a big problem. Now, the second problem is fluoride that uh, Jennifer is talking about, and fluoride is a element. Uh, in many places, fluoridate your water, and uh, that's ostensibly to improve dental health. Jennifer says that fluoride even exists naturally in a lot of places, but rarely at the level that you would imagine that municipalities add fluoride to a, a water system or aquifer. Now, many assume that consuming fluoride is only an issue that involves your dental health, but fluoride can actually disrupt other systems like your endocrine system, your hormonal system, and that can affect everything. Gosh, your brains, your uh, your bones. Um, brains? I have more than brains. one. <laughs> your, your brains. Your several brains. This is your brains on drugs. Yes, your, your bones, your thyroid, your other glands, uh, even even glucose levels. I, I just want to mention something. I actually did a long show on fluoride. I remember. Not too long ago, I don't think. So if you guys want to look up that show on Doom and Bloom, just click in fluoride, and most likely you will find my podcast for that show. We should probably link and it. so the- you're for it, right? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> no, she is that, not for it. That fluoride. evil laugh yes. is definitely not for adding fluoride to our water. It is not supposed to be ingested. It is a topical, which means on your teeth only, application. And even then, only if you're susceptible genetically to cavities. And it really doesn't work much beyond the age of 12. No. So that's that is something that is an issue. And the and funny thing is never that never be drinking it. Ma- never. That's not even it's not even a controversy in many places in the United States. But you might be surprised to know that in Western Europe, ninety seven percent of the population drinks non fluoridated water. And I can't imagine that it's any lesser percentage in underdeveloped countries. Uh, adding fluoride, like I said, controversial to some standard to many, but you're going to hear a lot of debate on both sides. And for me, adult dental health, I don't think it does much. Maybe applied directly to uh, very young people's teeth, it might just be helpful in some way. Don't drink it. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Number three is iron and manganese. And Jennifer says that iron and manganese are elements that can be a nuisance, not so much a danger in most cases. Um, Iron is found in a lot of water supplies, as you can imagine, and manganese is usually found in places where iron is found. And the problems associated with this don't kill you for the most part. They 
pretty much cause an offensive taste, though, to the water. It can uh, affect the color of the water. It can affect its general appearance and and make it you know not clear, so to speak, cloudy. So these are issues that occur, especially when oxidation occurs. Well, in with iron, that's rust. Right. Um, I remember when we moved down from Georgia in 1974 to Miramar, and the first time my mother filled the bathtub, it looked like someone had peed in it. It was, it just was absolutely the color of urine. It was so gross. You almost couldn't see through it. It was the nastiest thing. And we didn't have a choice. You, it was city water. You have to bathe. Right. I was disgusted by that. We spent a year <laughs> here when it was like that. And we left for a year, went back to Georgia, but... Somehow when we came back, we moved to a different area of Miramar. The water wasn't as bad, and it kind of got better, better over the years. I guess they were replacing some pipes as things went on. Miramar was a pretty old town for South Florida. I was True. In, I was in the older section. There's a whole new section now. But, yeah, so, oh, the water was gross. I'm sure it was one of these or both. <laughs> Number four is something called perchlorate. Perchlorite is a, a man-made chemical, and it's used, guess what, in explosives and fireworks and missiles, rocket fuel, but also in fertilizers and even initiators for airbags. And it's been found in drinking water in 26 states, according to Jennifer, even in Canada. And, and also... It should be noted it's been found in places that don't even produce the various items that I just mentioned. Now, the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, determined that perchlorate actually meets the Safe Drinking Water Act criteria for regulation because it is a contaminant. And the agency found that perchlorate may have an adverse effect on the health of people. It's known to occur with a frequency that that presents a public health concern, according to them. And one problem with it is that it persists in the environment. At high concentration, Jennifer says perchlorate can interfere with the production of things like thyroid hormone. Mm-hmm. Now, number five is bisphenol A. Remember, this is the top ten list. Bisphenol A is also known as BPA. Yes, BPA in that's water right. bottles. Well, that's right. It's an important chemical building block. It's an additive in so many plastics and Water bottles. And how much is is used? Jennifer says 3.2 million metric tons a year. Wow. This can be found in so many water bottles that it poses a danger when it leaches into food and drinks, especially if not stored in a dry, dark, cool, cool. environment. So when you put water bottles, say, into a garage. Right. In South Florida, and you let them sit for a long time, you can leach the BPAs into your water. You could possibly so do that. You shouldn't be storing any of your bottled water in hot areas because it is dangerous to your health. Well, although the, there's controversy about there's BPAs, a little, contra- little controversy about that. But I'd rather but, be sure than sorry. So glass is okay, or. I guess tap water if your tap water's not too contaminated. <laughs> or a cistern, but, um, you know, things like that. We get well, bottled water. Well, you can see how this is a problem if you're, you're storing for long-term use, you know, if uh, there's a disaster, things like that. And it, it causes health risks, but those health risks are mostly to infants and children. That's according to the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. 
And the good news is that there are a number of companies that produce BPA-free bottles now. Which is what I look for if we have to do the bottles. Now, what I was saying that we drink bottled water, I mean, we get the five-gallon. Now, how do we figure out, I though? drink distilled water. I know there's people out there, no, you've got to have the minerals. It has to be this pH. And, okay, that's fine. But I have been drinking distilled water since... Ooh, 1987. And you look pretty good to me. I have no problems. That's the, when I drink water, I drink the distilled water, except when you make coffee. So I can't say that absolutely because you fill up from the tap. I know because I've asked I'm you, not so picky. I've asked you to use Although the bottle. Although I should be probably. I've asked you to use the bottle of water. But, picky, picky, but you don't. picky. So I will say that I probably have two or three cups of tap water every day oh my god! thankfully it, it is filtered through coffee grounds yes which may provide it's a filter some right? help. there you go and and a filter and a coffee filter it's not boiled but it is heated to a pretty high temperature so does it boil, does it boil? no how does it go up the uh doesn't act it's never actually boiled the water just comes in hmm. okay interesting there's a certain temperature you're supposed to make coffee at it's not boiling water. Well, next week, the mechanics of coffee makers. No, we should, Mr. Because, Comics. we should coffee. because we have coffee beans Yes, that we've been drying. Yes, yes. We are one of the few people in South Florida coffee. that actually have a number of coffee plants. And they produce these beautiful red beans. and They're so pretty. And they produce green. You know, what you, you take the husks out. By the way, a lot of husks to them. <laughs> it's done with a machine normally. Oof, and we're doing it by and, hand. Yeah, just for fun, though. And, uh, and we... Get ourselves, uh, but we haven't roasted the one. Yeah, we've got a decent amount. We could make a good amount, a pot of coffee now. But let's talk. A pot of coffee, a lot more than that. Let's talk about it. Well, you remember we got to roast and we've got to ground it. Right. So it it just depends on how many grounds we end up. Right. Now, how do you figure out which bottles have BPA? There's actually a little, um, what do you call it? Like a logo. There's logos for lots of things. There's logos for. Uh, recycling. So there is a logo, I'm pretty sure, that tells you if Indicates something's BPA-free. All right. Well, good yeah. to know. Now, number six on the list is arsenic. Arsenic. What is arsenic? That's an element that occurs naturally in rocks and soil, used for a variety of purposes in uh, industry mm, and agriculture. Arsenic. Yum. It's a byproduct, apparently, of <laughs> Uh, copper smelting, mining, coal burning, all sorts of stuff. And it combines with other elements to make fertilizers, um, to make things that preserve wood, that are pesticides, more pesticides than fertilizer, I'm sorry. And you probably have heard um, that arsenic has been used as a poison. And indeed, it is a poison, very toxic, in high enough concentration. It's tasteless, it's odorless, you wouldn't be able to know that it's in your water. And it's Everywhere, apparently. It's in the Earth's crust, according to Jennifer. It can be found in a lot of drinking water supplies, especially private wells, by the way. And high exposure to arsenic not, can kill you, but, but also long-term could cause uh, health effects, perhaps even cancer. Now, you can't get rid of arsenic by boiling or with bleach, so you do need a good water filter to do the job uh, to get rid of arsenic. And, and a lot of these items, by the way, that the substances that I'm mentioning in today's show. Now, seven, of course, are pathogens. She mentions pathogens, and that's bacteria, viruses, things like that. There are many types that we have that are good bacteria. Some of them, however, are not good bacteria and can cause in 
infections, things like dysentery or typhoid, cholera that I mentioned before. And luckily, we have a better water treatment system today than we did in the past. But it's just practical to have water filtered and tested. That, that's important. Uh, the Berkey will work. Uh, Life Straw, Mini Sawyer will do the job to get rid of most organisms. Right, but not all is the problem. Well, 99 points up Not point nine nine, depending on nine 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 nine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just want to show you, it, this is what the BPA looks like. Okay, so it's a there green. There is a logo. It's, it's green. It says BPA free. Right. And it has. There's a few versions of them depending on what country we've traveled to. Um, this one is a Spanish one. This one is an American one. So just look for the green something light. that says BPA. Uh, usually it's got leaves on it, one or three leaves. All right, so it's green, so to speak. Yeah, well, I mean. Or something that says non-toxic plas uh, plastic. Right. That's another important thing to look for. You just got to do a lot of label reading, no right. matter what you buy. Uh, let's see, what else? Agricultural chemicals, number eight on Jennifer's list. Agriculture is heavily dependent on fertilizer, pesticides, of course. You know, that's we make uh, a lot of crops due to the use of these items. And, of course, uh, some of them are not healthy for you or... Even, and for the environment, the major contaminant is nitrate, and it's found in fertilizers and in animal waste. Now, these contaminants uh, can really get uh, into a high concentration in our water resources, especially if we don't watch carefully how they're disposed of, and they can cause a lot of different medical issues. Now, agricultural byproducts can do major damage in different ways. It can damage not just to humans, it can cause a lot of damage to population of important pollinators like bees and wasps and things like that. Now, one study showed traces of several fertilizers and pesticide chemicals in beehives. So, in beehives so that are not even necessarily near because uh, they travel. Because the bees travel, sure. They travel. So this is a, a big issue, and we have to always make sure that we're keeping an eye on the types of chemicals that are used and their effect on not only humans, but on our environment. Big ag. That's The worst. Right. <laughs> Sorry. And I, um, Monsanto is joining with Dow Chemical, and oh my gosh. Well, that's going that's to be... That's another story. We need to talk a, about that, too. There are two monsters that's another rant. together. Wow. Oh, and they're going to own almost all of our seeds, and they're going to patent everything, and all the farmers are going to have to go to these people, and then they're going to make these seeds where they have... Well, they do it now, but they're going to make more and more of these seeds that absolutely have to have something applied to the soil for them to even grow, so they've got to sell more chemicals. You can't, you can't harvest them because they're sterile. Nefarious. And then you have to buy new say. seeds every year. Nefarious, my oh. goodness. All right, anyway. Number nine, chlorine. Now, of course, chlorine is what disinfects our water in most places. The water treatment plants use chlorine. It kills off most of the microorganisms. But it in and of itself could certainly be a problem, not necessarily in small quantities, but... Too much of it can make you sick internally if you ingest it, and it also causes skin irritation if you bathe in too high a concentration. It can irritate your eyes, your nose, uh, your scalp, 
And, and so how much chlorine should you use to disinfect questionable water? And so I would say about 12 drops per gallon. That should do the trick. You will always have to wait about 30 minutes for it to do its job. The water will taste sort of chlorine-y. If you live in the city, it won't be a big surprise to you. Um, remember, killing the microbes is important, but you need to remove particulates from turbid water, cloudy water as well. And that's something you need a filter to do. You can, whether it's a commercial filter or whether it's one you improvise, which you can do with a uh, two liter, f for example, two liter bottle of the soda, empty the soda out, cut the top off and start putting different layers of different sized uh, gravel, sand, things like that. T-shirt material. T-shirt material in between the charcoal, layers. Charcoal. Ground up charcoal. Yep. Yeah, different sizes of gravel. Grout, not grout, uh, gravel, mm -hmm. gravel and sand, rocks, those are all good things. Um, I wanted to mention something about chlorine. It is very, very common for city water to use chlorine. Mm -hmm. Yes. It, it just, it's pretty much, I, I can't imagine there's a, a single water processing plant that isn't using chlorine in, in one of the stages. If you're really concerned about chlorine, and there's been some research that you shouldn't be breathing it. So when you're in a shower and it's coming out and, you know, that steam comes off of the water, um, there could be some chlorine in that steam. And you're inhaling it. So it's not just getting on your skin. Of course, you can absorb lots of things through your skin, mm -hmm. including chlorine, but you can inhale it, too. And so people can have issues with their lungs. Well, that, as you can imagine, that was using World War One as a an agent to kill soldiers, right. chlorine gas. Right. So there could be a safe amount that you can have every day. Your body could get rid of it, metabolize it, whatever. Other people might be more sensitive. You know, they're not going to expose people for 50 years. Okay, you get chlorine water and you get non-chlorine water. We'll see who dies first because you can't account for all the other That's variables. not the kind of life. experiment you can they're do. Just, they're, it's just never going to be done. So, and there's too many things in the world that can cause problems besides you know, the water you're bathing in. But what I, my point is, is that what we have is a shower filter. It's very simple. It's a little plastic container. It attaches to the output threads of your shower head, and then you can connect your shower head to the other side so that you get the spray of water that you want. So it's got two threaded sides, uh, it's very simple to use when it's not threaded. One is the female side, one's the male side. Um, but it's real, it takes five minutes to install, really. And you have to use the little plumbing tape so you don't get leaks on it. But you can help filter out some of these things we're talking about in your shower water if you would like to. Good advice. Well, you... I figure any time we can decrease our exposure to toxins, we might live just a little bit longer. So excellent, I'm going to eke every minute out of you, babe. Yeah. Whether you like it or not. Almost done. About to keel over. <laughs> I know. That's not true. Well, Jennifer's number 10. Top the 10 of 10 is not, is, this is not actually in any One order. One of the 10. One of the One 10. Of last 10. last uh, item on the list, mercury. And of course, the, everybody knows mercury. If you've ever had a thermometer, you had in the old days, you had some mercury down at the bottom, and that goes into water supplies uh, from mostly bad disposal of waste, uh, runoff from landfills, uh, farmland, factories, especially, I would think. 
there are even natural deposits, of course, of mercury. But just handling it and disposing of it, if that was your job, that actually would be risky and pretty toxic if you were exposed to a lot of it. And it supposedly causes a significant damage to the kidneys. So the important thing is that you need to know that water can be purified in normal times with treatment facilities, water treatment plants and things like that. In survival settings, <laughs> the, these facilities go the way of the dinosaur and you gotta depend on filters for your storage and other ways to ensure that your people aren't exposed to a lot of toxins. Now, in her article, Jennifer says the safest way to ensure these toxins don't make it into your body is to have your water tested by the municipality to determine what contaminants your tap water may contain. That's certainly some way that you can find out, uh, and you can call your state or city water services department. They probably have a lot of information like that, but you should probably also have a filter. A Berkey filter is excellent. Also, the, the Life Straw, very com- very compact. Some you can even have in a backpack. Right. The Mini Sawyer is also very useful. It could even uh, uh, sterilize or disinfect more water than, than the Life Straw. Both about the same size. Excellent. Both excellent items. And yeah, Mini Sawyer uh, does 100,000 gallons. They, yeah, they claim 100,000 gallons. And uh, that's Which is wild. pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty impressive. I do have them on my store, folks, mm-hmm. by the way. I just want to mention that. If you are looking for one, um, I have them in a few different colors. And they are really small. Right. And it's if, surprising. So we have those filters. If you want the Berkey filter, though, you, if you have space for a Berkey, then go to theberkey.com and you'll see uh, a whole series of different, uh, of their entire line. Let's talk a little bit about allergies. I, I introduced you to allergies last week, and we talked a little bit about the history of allergies and how they figured out that allergies actually happen. Believe it or not, if some if you told a doctor 100 years ago that you had an allergy, they probably wouldn't know what you were talking about. Uh, it was only, I think, in 1914 or 1908, something like that, that they identified what an allergy actually was and what an allergen or allergy-causing substance actually was. So it's sort of interesting that it's not a um, old, time-honored term. You know, it is something that is just recent, we've just recently learned more and more about. So we talked a little bit about how to identify allergies last time. We talked about the various forms Uh, They can be mild, they can be life-threatening, that's called anaphylactic shock. And we talked about uh, hay fever a little bit, uh, food allergies, local skin reactions, there are all sorts of different types. And so let's talk a little bit, uh, let's go over a tiny bit about what we talked about before, we'll talk about the rest. A little summary, I'm going to interrupt you just a second though, because I mentioned that water head shower, water shower head <laughs> okay water shower <laughs> the filter head. yes yes um our, the one we used is called april shower original filter april, april shower. shower like april or, showers bring may flowers right. right april shower filter and it it's, it has an apsf i'm not sure if that's just okay, the so show but it removes that. 98.9% of chlorine all right so there so you go so that's it so let's talk a little bit about hay fever. Hay fever, seasonal usually, 
high pollen counts in the area. Now, of course, from plants and things like that, uh, of course, different parts of the country will have their pollen counts high at different times of the year, depending on the climate and then, of course, the types of plants. And if you have hay fever, you're not going to have a fever, but you're going to have sneezing from a runny, clogged nose. You're going to have red, itchy, watery eyes, a post-nasal drip. Uh, and there are just so many different grasses and flowering plants and trees that release pollens that it's just difficult to identify what allergen is causing the symptoms sometimes. Uh, there are skin patch tests or scratch tests, blood tests that will identify this. Some people even move because they have so much of a problem with it, but the sad thing is that they could be moving into an area where they'll also have a problem with another plant that's that they're allergic to so it's it's pretty kooky it's hard to keep up (laughs) i'll say (laughs) now there's something called atopic dermatitis and that people that have atopic dermatitis usually are people with histories of previous allergies or maybe major family histories of allergy allergies asthma hay fever and uh, most of the time people that experience this uh it's because of animal dander dust mites in their sheet in their mattress things like that certain foods uh even stress and even dry weather will do it and so atopic dermatitis is a skin condition dermatitis just basically basically means skin inflammation and it starts with uh itchy dry skin and so that scratching that you feel an urge to do when you have this causes inflammation it causes swelling redness and of course when it breaks the skin skins your armor against infection it may initiate an infection and so these people usually have sort of small oozy blisters that occur over that crust over uh, with time might be mild versions covering small areas uh, or there could be all sorts of larger areas affected Many times lotions will, will help. These rashes uh, will recur from time to time usually. And, and if they occur frequently enough, the skin there actually becomes permanently tough uh, and, and darker than other areas. Yeah, it has almost um, a light brownish tinge to it sometimes. Yes, exactly. And uh, I have a, a small area on my knee actually that, that was like that. I haven't had a problem with that for many years, but it's... I know. Wasn't that strange? It happened once. Yeah, it had a few rashes for a while, and then it went away. No more. Obviously, something that I was in contact with that caused a problem—an allergen. Right. And so that's it. Now, um, it it can happen on the scalp and cheeks of babies, uh, knees and elbows in in babies, uh, other uh, areas with age. uh, Wind up uh, becoming uh, eligible, like ankles, wrists, legs, uh, the back of your butt, basically, and or, or the nape of your neck. <laughs> your buttocks. Your buttocks. Um, food allergies, that's another type of allergy. Four to five percent of the population is allergic to some kind of food. And kids, eggs, milk, peanuts, often responsible for that. And adults, shellfish, nuts from trees like walnuts, milk and eggs, common triggers to a reaction. It could be noted that It should be noted that an allergy to milk is different than an intolerance caused by a deficiency of something called lactase. Uh, If you have a deficiency of that enzyme, it causes, well, guess what? Lactose intolerance and actually is an issue. So that's something that it's important to know about. Uh, Drug allergies. A drug allergy is caused by repeated exposure to a particular medicine. Some of the most common include 
penicillin, sulfur drugs, insulins, especially the uh, non-synthetic versions, uh, seizure medications, and medications that in, uh, contain iodine in them. Uh, remember, the drug allergies are often confused with side effects or adverse reactions. And what's the difference? An adverse reaction is a known ill effect that can occur with the use of a medicine. For example, if a drug is known to cause nausea in some people, that's considered, and, it, and it's well known that that's an effect of the medicine, that's considered an adverse reaction as opposed to an allergy. Now, despite that, the funny thing is that many will report an allergy to a particular drug to their healthcare provider. Some of the reasons for this that the drug is that the drug causes symptoms, it makes them feel unwell. Uh, a family member has a history of an allergy and they assume that they have the same allergy. <laughs> the, an incident in their childhood resembled an allergic reaction, so better safe than sorry. Uh, say, read some negative comments online and so therefore they're reluctant to take the medicine, so it's easy to say, easier to say I'm allergic to it. Or they could be philosophically opposed to a particular type of medicine, antibiotics, psychotropic drugs. Some people are uh, opposed to, so they may, they may say they're allergic. And of course, they could actually be allergic. And notice that I mentioned that last because the World Allergy Association reports that 10% or less of reactions to medications are actually related to any type of allergy, any type of response by your immune system against the medication. Most symptoms that people get after taking medicine are indeed adverse reactions, like I mentioned. That may not always be easy to tell the difference. A true drug allergy, however, is going to show immune-mediated symptoms. These are things like hives, itchy skin and eyes, uh, rashes, lip or tongue swelling, wheezing in, in bad cases. Uh, in some people might have a drop in blood pressure. So these are things that tip you off that it is actually an allergy, a true drug allergy, as opposed to just some adverse reaction right, a side effect to you didn't a drug. Like. Well, I think a lot of people may have determined that they have an allergy if they get, like, really nauseous, which is a common side effect of, say, um, a drug like metronidazole, which if you do not eat food, with that, you will get really sick. Another one that makes people really oh, wait, nauseous. Before you do that, yeah. is uh, alcohol oh, and metronidazole yeah. makes you vomit. That's a, a oh. adverse reaction. It's not that you are allergic to exactly. alcohol. Exactly. Another one that can make you really, really nauseous is a Z-Pack. Oh, yeah. Azithromycin. Azithromycin. Mm -hmm. Woo, because you do a loading dose of two of those. And you'll take a powerful punch in the stomach if you don't eat something. So have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before you have these pills. That's always a good one for your stomach. Decreases nausea because it I agree. sticks to you, as your mom used to say. <laughs> now, there are also things called toxin allergies, and these would include things like bee or wasp or hornet venom. Uh, it's common to have, like, local redness, discomfort, itching, swelling when these types of toxins are introduced into the body. Now, your immune system responds strongly when, in, in some cases, mm -hmm. very significantly in the form of an allergy in, in many of these cases. And the things that you'll see causing this, of course, are uh, the bees and the wasps and the hornets I just mentioned, but also fire ants. Fire ants have something called formic acid, and that causes significant 
side effects or or, or significant significant. Ooh, if you've ever been bitten by those. Oh yes, significant I have. I have. is a mild word. Right. And but you it, and that could be local or it could be more allergic, uh, full body immune right. response. Right, start a whole cascade. That's right. So when the immune system gets involved, remember that the reactions are going to be more severe than just some pain for or, and, and redness at the site of the bite or the sting. So once you have an allergic reaction taking over after that kind of uh, event, then it's going to affect large areas of skin that your tongue may be swollen, your lips, um, your throat may swell up, may be difficult to breathe. Uh, some people get uh, nausea and vomiting. Some people get uh, diarrhea in some cases. I mean, sometimes the effect takes a while to resolve. So how do you treat allergy symptoms? Allergies, when mild, you can treat them with medications that relieve the specific symptoms. For example, antihistamines for um, uh, sneezing, runny nose, itchy eyes, uh, associated with hay fever. They come in eye drops. They come orally. They can come in nasal sprays. Um, oral pseudoephedrine, like Sudafed, and uh, oxymetazoline, which is uh, Afrin or Dristan. These are useful drugs to have in the medicine cabinet. You have to remember that the nasal sprays, however, are addictive when used for more than three days. So please do not get too used to using nasal sprays. Well, <clears throat> addictive. Hmm. I'm not sure I would use that word, although it could be appropriate. I think it's more like your body gets so used to it, you can't breathe without it. Right. Well, your body so that becomes, addiction, like with a to, an addiction, it's your body becomes tolerant. Exactly. Yes, you that's get, why I use that word. No, I, I know. <laughs> but everybody thinks of addiction as like, you know, drugs oh, and alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that's gaming. True. People who play a lot of, of yeah, online yeah. games. Yeah. That's that's an addiction. All right. So <laughs> I'll be careful about what I say. No, that's okay. I mean, uh -huh. it, it makes sense. I just wanted to explain it a little bit. You're, you're not going to have... Uh, shakes if you don't have afrin. It's just your nose is going to swell up. That's right. And you're going to need the afrin to reduce that inflammation to actually be able to breathe. So that that addiction is sort of a, a vicious cycle to get on. Now, a I want to just say that uh -huh. there is a popular antihistamine called Benadryl, but you have to remember that Benadryl or diphenhydramine is prone to causing drowsiness in higher doses if you have to do stuff that requires you being absolutely alert sometimes, especially if you use a 50 milligram dose. It can put you right to sleep, so just be oh, careful yeah. with regards to that. Well, now, that's what's in Tylenol PM. Yes. Is Benadryl, I believe, the 50 milligram. Diphenhydramine. It might be the 25, but that's what they use to put you to sleep. So you will probably be sleepy, unless you're an infant or a child, and then you'll be hyper. Right. <laughs> yes. It's Opposite a, why does that do that? I Who know. knows? Then your child is bouncing off the walls. <laughs> now, I want to say that there are um, medications for long-term treatment of allergies. They don't work to stop an allergic reaction in its tracks, but over the course of time, they prevent the free or decrease the frequency and the severity of allergic symptoms. And these are things like intranasal steroid sprays, mm -hmm. like Atrovent, um, nasal crom, which is other known, otherwise known as chromalin sodium, and these are long-term therapies. Don't expect a rapid uh, effect. Now, there are lots of ways to naturally treat allergy symptoms. Many experience relief when they use a neti pot, for example, to relieve congestion and pressure. 
The neti pot, if you don't know, looks essentially like Aladdin's lamp. It allows for the delivery oh, of... that's a good description. Yes, it allows for the <laughs> delivery of sterile solutions into the nasal cavities, <clears throat> and they work by thinning out the mucus. You know, the hairs in your nose, which are called cilia, by the way, the microscopic hairs, are aided in their attempts to eliminate mucus and allergens by the flushing action of the sterile saline solution delivered by the neti pot. Now, the... Uh, some people have doubts about it, but the research does back up the benefits of nasal irrigation to relieve allergy symptoms, and it could decrease the need for drugs. Now, one thing that you need to know, though, is that you have to use sterile solutions when you irrigate. If you use non-sterile solutions, even tap water, it can transmit infections directly into the body, and there were two deaths in Louisiana attributed to neti pot use of contaminated water. I'm really glad you which, emphasized that. Which goes back to our Very little talk important. about contaminated water earlier in, in the show. Yep. You have to make sure you wash your neti pot thoroughly after every use, just like you wash your dishes after every meal. Well, you know what? We are beginning to run out of time. Uh, I want to what talk about... we have a couple about, more minutes? I, yeah, yeah, I want to talk about anaphylaxis, but I'm going to save that for the yeah, next show. Anaphylactic run. shock... That is a major thing. I also had ear infections as part of what I was going to talk about today. So, boy, oh boy, I had better we I had better become a little so more efficient in transmitting. Is there anything you can talk about for two minutes? Yes, <laughs> I can talk about the importance of yes. and the satisfaction that you get from helping <laughs> the elderly. I knew you were going there. Absolutely. You know why? Uh, because I'm elderly, and you can help me. <laughs> and guess what? You can help your entire family by getting a copy of our brand new edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook. The essential guide for when medical help is not on the way. You're going to get 700 pages, 150 different medical topics that you might have to confront in a disaster, an epidemic, or a zombie apocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) You can find our book, The Survival Medicine Handbook, on Amazon.com. If you look at all the different editions that we have of it, you'll find over 500 five-star reviews. Or on our website over at doomandbloom.net. Put us in your survival library, please. You will be glad you did. And you're not just helping out an old man. You're helping out your entire family, your entire group in times of trouble. Now, I I just want to say I still find that people are buying the second edition, which is still on Amazon. Uh, Those are not the current editions. The current (laughs) edition is the third edition. Uh, You could tell the, the book has a red medical bag on the cover instead of a silver one uh so that's look for the third edition that is the most important thing to do it drives some crazy folks because it's it's bigger it talks about more topics drives me nuts i think it's awesome but of course i think i would think it's awesome wouldn't i what can i say well we we took us three years to rewrite that that's right thank you for listening to the doom and bloom survival medicine hour with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. See you next time.